Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. Have you ever heard that saying, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with? About a year and a half ago, I was looking around and to be honest, I felt like I didn't have enough female role models in the business world that were entrepreneurs building something bigger than themselves. And then I met Fatin Al-Shazli, who is the creative director and co-founder of We Us Them, a global advertising agency with their office here in Halifax. Halifax is a small city and I had the privilege of running into Fatin in my everyday life multiple times over the past year and a half. And every time I saw her, I learned something new. She challenged me, she gave me a new idea, and she was so vulnerable about what it really takes to start a business. She also talked about diversity and we asked them's ability to enter new countries and win business against very large advertising agencies from the traditional creative hubs like New York and London. I am so honored that Fatin agreed to come on my podcast and share these stories with you. She is the winner of the 100 Most Powerful Women in Canada Award, the Women of Influence Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and also the winner of many creative awards. I'm so excited to share this interview with you today. Hi, Fatin. I am so excited that you are here on the Ambition Theory podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do? Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, my name is Fatin Al-Shazli. I co-own We As Them. Uh, we As Them is an ad agency uh, here in Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia. Um, we work with clients uh, such as uh, Sinai Health Systems, Government of Canada, Tell us uh, most recently the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank uh, out of the Caribbean. Okay, Just cool. Just to name a few. <laughs> Just to name a few. So your clients yes. are all over the world. I know you've won a lot of awards. I can't even actually fit them all on one page to read them all right now. Um, but you're winning creative awards, you're winning entrepreneurial awards, and you're actually one of my role models. And I'm Really excited that you're here today, but I'm curious, before you started We Us Them, what was going on for you professionally? Well, okay, so before I started We Us Them, I, I actually had a very gratifying professional life that I enjoyed and I loved very much. I was, I, I was um, privileged to be working for fantastic leaders and great initiatives. Um, in healthcare and education here in our community, um, was fortunate to take on um, large projects that I rolled out uh, in our province and outside the province nationally. And I was very lucky to be given the creative freedom to run with this project to uh, make them much, much more bigger than um, what, they, what they could have been. Um, so yeah, so I had, I had great professional life, but the only disadvantage or not disadvantage, the only, uh, 
road, roadblock that, that I faced with that is um, I felt at some point that I hit the ceiling and um, um, professional growth was very limited uh, within our province and in the city if I wanted to stay in Halifax. And um, that was a little bit disheartening because I felt I had a lot more to offer. And that's basically where we as them just started. I wanted um, to have uh, this dream that allowed me to define my own ceilings. Okay, so I'm really curious when you say ceiling, you talked about a geographic ceiling, like we are in a small province in a small city. There's not a lot of big corporate headquarters right here for you to go out and get amazing advertising work from. So there's that geographical one, but were you experiencing any other kinds of ceilings? Well, the, the, the first ceiling was professionally and professionally, the limitation of the professional ceiling came from being in the province. Not, not many projects were, or, or work that was required in healthcare and education here required me to, to travel further with it nationally. Uh, internationally just came for, like later with we as them. Um, so as you grow further and you leave Nova Scotia and you start going to different provinces and interacting with, with, uh, with different calibers of professionals, you feel you're missing a lot professionally and geographically, as, as, as you would say. And um, that's where I hit the ceiling because the work is done. And um, as you can, can appreciate with healthcare and education here in our province, there I would be going much faster than what you would need me to go. And um, when, when you're young and you're ambitious, you just, you just need to get as much done as, as you want. And that wasn't there. Okay. And so I know I used to work in marketing before I got into coaching. So I know for the big creative projects, we didn't look to places like Halifax to find our agency. And mm -hmm. to be honest, I was in Toronto at the time and a lot of the time we actually didn't even look in Toronto. We would go to London, we would have San Francisco and New York is where they would come from. So tell me how we us them became a player at that level because you are competing against those big players. You're winning awards against those players. And I wanna understand where it's Fatten doing creative locally here in Nova Scotia and how did it become global? So you're in Halifax right now and you can appreciate now, I, I bet it's really hard for you to leave Halifax and go anywhere else after being in Toronto or wherever else in the country. Once you live in Halifax, it's like you're a fish. You can't really leave the water. So we were anchored here. This is where we grew up. This is where we love to be. This is where our families is. Uh, this is where we made lots of memories. And when, when I say, we, uh, I would say myself, my business partner, and, and the, my circle of support of, of her for that. Um, with that, we always made Halifax home, but we always seeked education and um, consulting offers always out, outside elsewhere. And I had this mindset for the love of Halifax that I wanted to shake the status quo in, in our city here in the province. I wanted to bring all the caliber and the type of work and, and, and dealings that you see outside back here to the city. It's more of a, a it's more of loyalty and, and love for the place that you grew up in and you want to see it better. And we had fantastic agencies here, um, but we had also very limited aspirations from 
the few clients that we have here, they're, it felt to me at some point that they are settling or they're not as, or maybe settling is not the right word, not, they're not as brave because they haven't seen a, other, other type of work. So I wanted to create that here. Um, being, being uh, doing my post-secondary education in, in Savannah College of Art and Design, which is one of the top in the world, uh, my business partner getting his education from Purdue and in different universities in Europe, we wanted to bring this quality that we learned outside back here in the city. And that's what we, what we thought. So we thought we'll have our headquarters here and benefit from this beautiful place at the East Coast, close to our families and friends, and travel around and, 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 and bring, bring international work here. The other thing that works for our advantage, and you can appreciate that, when you go on a global market or a bigger market, um, bigger clients also look for a smaller size, um, talented and, and creative agency. And I used to take this as a good example when we, when we found one time when we were uh, searching that Coke, for example, had a small agency of two people. And if Coke can give their account to an agency of two people, and I'm sure there is more support behind it, but mainly two people, I think we can lend bigger accounts. They're looking for fresh blood. They're looking for creative talent. They're looking for someone who is who would be uh, so excited to have them and give them full attention rather than just being an account in a larger agency. And uh, and that's how, how we did it. We, 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 were, we had the firm belief that we can win and compete with these. And to, to prove me right, um, a few years back, when we were, like, I think three, three years in the business, we actually unseated um, the largest PR agency in the world after a 10 years relationship with the government of Canada, Global Affairs Canada, and we became their agency of, of record for four years. And I can't tell you how that felt. Uh, when we knew who we unseated, who, who they took us when the account was being renewed. They, they took the small agency out of the East Coast over this, this massive PR agency that they had for 10 years. That's so, incredible. Um, it takes courage, but it takes also belief that you can, you're up for this competition. And this is the thing, Fatin, I remember the first day we met, it was at a lunch, it was at a charity lunch, and you were on a panel discussion. And... I remember you said this thing and it resonated with me. I think it was two years ago that we first met, maybe three, it was a while ago. And you said, if I knew I could be this successful, I would have done it sooner. And that I, that like has stuck with me the whole time. And every time I run into you, cause Halifax is a small city, we run into each other on the street. And every time I run into you, I get to know you and your journey, kind of the behind the scenes of WeSM a little bit at a time. And You've just been so open with me on like when you started in this belief and starting out at this small agency and believing that you could take over a big national massive account from a more established player. It, it's really powerful for me to see that as a small business owner that is just getting started and I see these big professional development and coaching companies and I'm like, I could never. And you make me believe that I could. So thank you for being that person in my life. But I'm curious if you could tell me more about the roadblocks. Like what happened? Like, it sounds great now that you were able to get the, 
these this like the government of Canada as a client. But tell me about what happened on the journey to get there. Okay, so first you we were talking about. I wish I had done that uh, sooner. If I if if I had known that we would be successful, that so that's that that's a very good uh, memory here. Um, we as them was a huge risk and a huge gamble for us. And just like every business, and, and you can relate, of course. So when we started, we as them, um, there were, the numbers said there were 83 companies identified as an agency here in Halifax. They range from the one person company to the larger competitors that we all know and love in the city. And at that time, when we also started, uh, Nova Scotia has lost big ticket accounts. So we lost Bell, if I recall, we lost Sobeys, we lost the tourism accounts that went um, out of the province. So this, the, 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 the region and the space wasn't the right, the right time for us to start a business, especially in this industry. So that's where the risk and the gamble um, came from. Um, the other part of it, of course, um, the, 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 the initial startup of the business and we're taking um, several years of savings to, to set up for the upfront setup, setup for the business. And um, we, we also realized that, of course, like any other business, it will take two to three years to start seeing the return um, that you can see with that. So that's where this fear and, and gamble and risk that came from. But with that, um, as, as we went ahead year after year, we continue to see growth. We continue to see a um, uh, better bottom line for, for, for our work. Our quality started, work started to travel. People started to uh, uh, notice the work we do. And, and from the typical uh, competing in, in marketing to try to win other, other accounts, People start looking for us just because they're noticing our work, and that's where um, it showed that um, this this gamble and this risk was really rewarding and worth it because the amount of effort that was put into it and the open-mindedness that came that we we don't have to be limited to the local market; we can stay here and look for work elsewhere um, had really paid off. That that's for sure. So that's where where that comment came come from. Sorry, what was the second part of your question? And I'm just curious about the role. So like the first roadblock that I heard from this story is, and I remember you told me this so clearly um, in the Starbucks when I ran into you and, and Ashwin was that the profits were not there at the beginning. So I think oh. this like belief must have been so strong for you to keep pushing forward for three years <laughs> before you got really a good payoff. Yes. And yep. I would say, like, I've never heard myself personally, an entrepreneur actually share that so openly as you and Ashwin have. So I think that's something that is really remarkable about you is that you knew you could, it sounds like you could see the early wins and you knew there was big potential, but it wasn't an instant success. No, it wasn't. It wasn't an instant success, but we had faith and we had we were in this mindset that um, whatever money we're making, that we're reinvesting in the company because we're trying to get to different territories that will pay off at, at maybe year three or year four. That's where we're seeing the, the, the long-term vision rather than the short-term vision and, and for it. So um, 
looking at, at roadblocks, as, as you were saying, that was one of the biggest. It's long hours, with, in the beginning at least, was long, long hours, um, steep learning curves for things that we haven't experienced before. And I don't mean our skill set and expertise, which we had, but running a business in this time, um, in this time and in this geographic location was, was huge. Um, we weren't superheroes to fly past them, as some would say. Um, so, for example, we go and meet a client elsewhere or we compete and they have no idea where Halifax, Nova Scotia is or it is completely foreign to them. To them, it, it, it feels like we might as well be on the moon as far as they're concerned because they have no clue where we're at. The lack of brand awareness was a huge roadblock, especially when we left the city. And as I was just sharing with you, for the first few years, the brand came from my name and my reputation and my work for the previous 12 years professionally, the same as for Ashwin. So we brought our brand cachet for our clients. So our, our early clients were friends that they known us, has, had known us for a year and they came to do the work with us. But we as them could not compete because as a brand standalone outside of the province or outside of the country, they were, it was, it was unknown. Um, the second part, as, as we tried to go elsewhere, the distance, the distance between us here in Halifax and clients in different countries created lots of hurdles for us. Um, the, this, the, 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 the other roadblock was to set up a business and compete in different countries from the States to Europe to the Caribbean. All these required a ton of barriers uh, to go through. Um, um, lots of processes and headaches that came with it. Uh, we lost quite a bit of money and time and effort. And at some point we felt, is it worth it uh, to go through all this, to, to have a foundation in different countries and be able to compete without going through the same process um, uh, again and again. So all these were roadblocks that, that we faced um, for, for a number of years. Um, but that said, um, I don't think roadblocks will, will ever stop for anyone. It's just your stamina, how you can overcome them and um, remove these barriers and create success for yourself. It's, it's just like basically you have to have the, the, the toughest stamina to, to be able to go for the long run. Okay. And then, so tell me what you guys are doing today. Because what I see is that you guys are a global agency. You're competing against all of the big ones. So it's like when I watch you, it's like that perseverance that just like figuring out, like, how do I do business deals with the Caribbean? How do I do it in Europe? How do I go and get these clients? All of that perseverance, all that figuring it out has paid off. So how does it feel right now to be in that position? It, it feels great. It, it's always a learning curve. And with every success, um, it, it just more a reassurance that we are on the right track. Um, the quality of our work, as I said, is what's bringing us business right now. The results of our work, um, it's, it's bringing us more business. We've, we've been always grounded in quantitative and qualitative re returns on our work, and, and, and which which something not every agency um, believed in. We, I mean, aside from media buys and 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 the such, everything needs to be measured from what we created for our clients. Um, and um, yeah, so 
So being in different countries is always great. We, from being a roadblock to set up a foundation in all these countries, now we're trying to benefit from that. Big, big chunk of the, 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 the initial work is done. And now we're trying to uh, capitalize on all this work and effort that we put forward. And we, kept, we keep going back to the same territories and competing for more work there. Our name started to be known in these territories. So for example, we've done a couple of projects in Jamaica that the first one we competed for, the second one, they basically came to us. Uh, the, the account from the Caribbean, we didn't compete for, but they actually came to us because they've seen our works and heard about it. So we start building repu global reputation that is bringing more clients to us. And um, we're enjoying that and we're enjoying the diversity that's coming with all these clients. When you start traveling, you feel that um, you, you witness the diversity, not just in, in the type of work and industries, but also in the diversity in the audience that you're dealing with. When, when we did work in Canada here for a number of years, especially when I'm, I speak about healthcare and education, because um, for me, it has been always where our history is and our strength is. Um, you, you, you watch and you consider diversity because we are a multicultural, diverse population here in Canada, as you can see, and you coming from Toronto probably can uh, attest to that as well. But when you travel to different countries, like the Caribbean, for example, you have one big um, audience that they all share a lot in common that you need to really learn about them and, and understand them to be able to market something for them and create success and see how they can adopt it and use it. So this learning experience is changing from a country to a country. As we go, I took my team, for example, to Egypt um, three years ago, I believe, and um, we were in, in communications with the government of Egypt for some work to replicate that we've done in Canada and in different countries um, in healthcare. And it was an eye opener for them to, to experience what their, their marketing is like, how they consume information, how they react to it. What is it that they push back and they're not open to look at? You can't really experience this by sitting just here in Halifax behind the computers and doing your desk work. It comes with a lot of engagement and speaking and being on ground. And that's one of the things that um, we really appreciated like as we travel and to open our minds and have this one-on-one -on -one and one-on-many uh, discussions with folks there. I love that. It's just like you have to get out of the place, right? Get out of your comfort zone, get out of what you know, and that's where you learn. Fatin, the second time that we met, which I think was at another conference, I was talking to you about my business, which was really new at the time. And I talked about getting more women into leadership. And the first thing you said to me was, the creative industry needs this. And it was interesting because my initial reaction in my mind was, what is she talking about? When I worked in marketing, all of the agencies had a ton of women. And then I had this realization, I'm like, yes, there are a lot of women that work in ad advertising, but whenever it was time for the big creative presentation, the women would bring kind of like a 55 year old man to come in and give the presentation from the creative director's perspective. And I was like, oh my goodness, she's right. All of the creative directors are men, pretty much. So tell me what is going on there. 
it's it's a lonely world for for female or for women in the creative industry, especially in, in the creative side of the house. Um, I don't know what's going on. I think that goes to the old notion that women are better in managing relationships. And that's why you see more of them on the account management and the client side services, but you don't see them in the creative directions. And I think if, if you look at some of, I'll take, I'll take in most typically, most, in most agencies, you see the, the technical team or the development team and the creative team, and you'll see they're, they're more male dominance, both of them. And, um, it, it, it's it, it's a it's it's a long it's a long history for it. It's coming starting from school, I think, where we're trying even to push for more women in technology. It's starting from design schools, we're trying to um, uh, have more women uh, studying design and arts, and um, not just design studying it as a hobby, but actually studying it to to make a living out of it and be brave enough that it can be a profession. Um, it's it's all this all this come together that as I shared with you when we were in Starbucks I think we met at Starbucks once and um, I had one of my valued uh, mentees slash senior designer great guy great guy that I mentored I thought when he was doing his master's here at NASCAD and um, he was taught in fine arts and he's got like a couple of degrees under his belt aside from the master's he got here from NASCAD and when we were recruiting for for uh, for females to uh, take a senior role in the creative team. Um, he, he was a firm believer that um, females are not good creators. And um, he, he said, name one that you could think of that can lead as a female um, creative that, that have done great work. It's always male. This is, this is history. This is how it is. And I looked at him and I was a little disappointed. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, like, except you. And I didn't know if he was saying that because I was his boss or who really believed it. But uh, truly, he believed, I think, that I had something to offer. But, um, yeah, this is, this is how it is. And um, what I have been hoping for uh, more and more is we, we go from the beginning. We, we get our students, graduate, to have more faith that they can be in a creative team and and, and assume um, senior roles as, as they, they earn their experience and they grow in the roles. And hopefully they will have again, this kind of stamina that will get them to be in a creative leadership role rather than just either a very young role or none pretty much. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's how it is. Now with that, things are changing, changing slow, but it's changing. Um, I don't see many in Halifax that creative um, directors for the agency we have here. Maybe I can recall one, perhaps, or two. And um, uh, also, I, I don't recall any stability. So you feel it's a lonely um, space for someone like myself to be not just a business owner, but to be leading the creative side of the house. Um, and when you travel across... Uh, you'll get some sometimes the, the old the old school folks will be questioning your your ability versus uh, a male counterpart that they're used to over the years uh, but the hope is this would change and we need more of this and the only way we can get more of this getting people like myself and others to be more vocal about it to be role models specifically in this industry and specifically at this level 
So when we walk around and we say we're trying to get more women on boards and we're trying to get where more women in leadership roles and more women business owners, we also need more women in, in technology and we need more women in arts and design, in leadership capacity, not just in um, entry levels. So it's interesting that you say this because I think the industry is noticing that we do, like you are literally the living, breathing case study of what happens when you have a woman in leadership because the awards that you're winning, and those are public industry recognitions that you guys are winning here in Halifax, you're winning the Canada ones, you're winning ones in US, you're winning the ones on the global scale, and you're winning the business awards. So as a female business owner, but you're also winning the breakthrough creative awards. And I'm curious about specifically about the creative awards, because I'm sure it's like an old boys club mentality, how that how they get chosen, how the whole system works. But is it this diverse experience, the fact that you work all over the world, the fact that you are a woman, there's not a lot of other women, is that why your creative is breaking through? I, I It's a combination of both. Uh, well, you're looking for the secret sauce, that's what you're looking mm-hmm. for. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a combination of both, but mainly I would say is... Uh, I think my creative vision that added to this a lot. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of the I'm one of the firm believers that uh, graphic design in general, in, in the creative side of the house, is not is not enough. And I'm, I'm one of the old school that um, to to being creative, you need to be trained in fine arts first, and then in whatever design field comes first whether second which is environmental design graphic design product design whatever whatever comes after that and for that reason i make sure that i have this mix and flavor in all of our work in the fine arts not just in graphic design and the fine arts for me it's something that is more personal it's something that i trained in i practiced for several years and just like others like it it, it it, it's one of my my assets and my strengths that I wanted to utilize more. Um, it's one thing to hire artists, and and that's what I usually aim to. I, I I call them. I use the academic word when I call them interdisciplinary designers. And when I mean what I mean by that, uh, not just the not just the the graphic designer that that can design a different platform, but also the one that have been trained in the arts in in different mediums. And they have this creative eye and creative hand that they have um, touched a canvas or, 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 or a piece of art that they conveyed a message and told the story through it. And my vision was, and, and is, has still is, how do you tell the story and don't make it really subjective? So if you come here to my studio and you see all, as, as, as people kind to me say that's beautiful pieces of art, to me, it's just art is very subjective and they're beautiful hanging on the wall. But how do I how do I use this skill to commercialize that art, to tell a story, to attract uh, a type of audience that I want to push a service or a product to? And that that has been my secret sauce and um, not really scared to share it because when, when you become an artist, everyone has a style. There isn't one ex- expressionist or an artist just the same like the other. Everyone has their own school that they that they favor and they like, and I dabble with all. And our clients get to enjoy seeing work that is absolutely unique. Um, it it 
and not just unique as, as how pretty it is and, and, and engaging it is, but actually at, at the end of it also it returns results and they see how effective it is. So with that, and a lot of the creative awards came from because they see the, the type of work, the history of the, the work, the foundation, the type of education and, and practice that came behind it. And to, to take it back to the business side of the house, the return that it had achieved on that. So that is the secret sauce. It's the secret sauce. And is that kind of like the mixture between you and Ashu and your business partner? Like together it kind of morphs and it creates this beautiful thing and gets results for the client? Abs absolutely. If I, you know what, I, my dad has been a businessman since, since I ever, since I've ever uh, opened my eyes and know what that is. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. And growing up, my dad never had a business partner and he never believed in partnership in business and he never believed in mixing a business and friends or business and family that that's just his way that what I learned growing up and with Ashwin came a very different mix um, we truly were two uh, people that had dreams that can complement each each other and we knew what everyone can can add to the mix Ashwin brings great uh, business stability from from his strategy and his experience um, He's very technically savvy, so he can lead us to more innovative work. And with, with having this side of the house and this strength, that allows me to truly focus on creativity. It's, it's, when we first started, we were, as, as probably you are doing too in your business, every one of us wore so many hats. So I was the business development. I was the, the operational person. I was the creative director. I was the designer at times, and I was the marketer. And um, it just started eating us up and we became very overwhelmed because every one of us trying to do everything. But when we stopped and we focused on what is the true strength that can make me enjoy what I'm doing, get, get the most out of it, and same for him, we, we split it for me to focus on creative and he takes that creative to, 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 to make sure that the business return is being achieved. And um, I'll tell you a very short, funny story. Um, and uh, when when you get really engrossed in your creative work and you spend so many hours in it and you try to perfect it and, and you feel no the story is missing something there is there is something here that's not getting me yet it needs more work and Ashwin would come and he'd use his famous quote and he would say if it's not if it doesn't sell it ain't creative so you can keep working on it if we can sell it it's not creative it could be really pretty hang it on the wall <laughs> so and that's because once you are in this cre creative mode, you, you can't think as a business as a business person. And it takes a lot of training to, to be able to use your right brain and left brain at the same time. So to have the opportunity to shut um, one side of your brain and let someone else take care of it and you focus on that, 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 that's an amazing mix to bring together in partnership. So the short answer is yes. That works. Okay. So I have one more question and this is an industry question. So I know, and this is a marketing question. So I know most household purchase decision make decisions are made by women. Um, but like we talked about, most of the creative directors today are men. So all the advertising um, that is supposed to speak to women and get them to make a decision to buy something um, is made by men. Why have, has the industry not kind of been like, this is a huge opportunity <laughs> that if it's we developed huge. women to be making creative for women, we could probably sell way more. 
why are they not seeing that? We're, we're still we're still stuck in the same thing that there isn't enough women creative leaders out there to 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 assume these roles. But quite frankly, the the need is getting higher and higher. So now we have more stay-at-home men. That 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 it's great to have to have men creative directors to be understanding their their needs and what they can consume so it's not always just or it's no longer only women Mm. being the main consumer as before but now we're also realizing that um, brands have becoming or have become always if if you want to get out of our our local territory have becoming really global so your brand like we had one brand for example that we we took it from our local um, environment here to to nationally to push it across the country and then started traveling to the states and from the states we had an outreach of about 100 and some countries with completely different demographics and with all these one thing it's not about men or a woman it's about which it's men and a woman and a gender and a race and ethnicity and with all this we need a lot more diversity in the creative side of the house and we need more more diverse, diverse creatives to, to be leading this because the consumers is not only women and it's not only men. They're, they're different if you want to take this product or this brand elsewhere. Um, a quick example that, that we had that the, the diversity is really needed more than ever behind the scene as, as we do that. When we were in the Caribbean leading our engagement, we had um, on the ground engagement sessions where one of our team members here, one of the engagement strategists, he was um, facilitating the conversation. And the conversation for one topic, one question, as we're doing here, went over an hour. So he looked at the older gentleman, very, he, he was a fantastic guy, and we had a great conversation. It's like, okay, now let's go to the second question. We're, we're done with this one, or something similar to that. He got really upset, and he looked at him, and he said, you don't understand us because you're not one of us, we like to talk and we like to share more and you can't put a time on how much we wanna share. So that's, that's, that's the diversity that's required. I'm not saying that you can have one of everything in your team, but you need to understand audience becomes so diverse that we need to reflect that. They're looking for that. They're looking for someone that can understand their language and their culture and their backgrounds to be able to sell them something or get them to adopt something. It's not just about finishing a task and getting answers on papers or on a recorder to analyze it and take this data to to react on it. They also need to see you. So you are right, women need to see more women. Also men are now happy to see men uh, being behind the scene, pushing the creative work, but we also need to see more diverse folks from a race, ethnicity, and, and different backgrounds to be behind the scenes. So let's talk about what people can do, because this is a theme in most organizations, especially in the leadership space, right? Because you, you said, like, we need more diversity at the top, leading the creative, not just doing the jobs. So what's something that people can do right now, like business leaders can do as a first step to just start that process? Something that they could do in, like, tomorrow tomorrow okay so yeah. I, I think i think i had similar discussion with that in one of around one of the tables is um 
you need to project this image as a business owner in this field. You need to project the image that you're open for, for talent. Now we have an influx of talent from all around the world. You need to, to show that you're welcoming this diverse talent in-house. And once you have it, you have it in-house, you need to foster it and grow it until you make it reach that level. So you, you truly need to practice what we're preaching right now. And, uh, and you need to project it because it, it's one thing when, when, for example, we get applicants and we, they apply to us, they do check who's working here. How diverse are they? They look at our projects. And one of the things that we always like in, in interviews or little chats is we love how diverse you guys are. Not just diverse in work, but diverse in your audience, the talents that you hire in-house, um, and who leads the projects. And this diversity, what, what gets us to win global work and, and, and international work, because we're not, we need the diversity in thoughts as well. Everyone brings it with them. And um, it's amazing when we have a brainstorming session or a meeting around a, about a new client and we see how every one of us look at it and bring their perspective to the table. It's fascinating. And it's sad to, to have to, for all of us to be just alike. We need to be different to bring different perspectives. So I have a question for you, actually. And this goes to this idea because I think a lot of companies are not at the place where you're at right now, where they have this diverse city at the table already. But I'm just curious if you can get, share like one hack that people can do to just pull out the information from the people around them that may be a little bit different. And maybe they're not at the top yet, but What's something that you could do in a meeting to just shift it and be more open and to want it, to encourage people to speak their voices and share their truth? Like you said in that um, customer interview you were doing in another country where they're like, whoa, whoa, you don't understand us. We like to talk. And your facilitator reacted really quickly and was able to like, you know, lean into that and learn more. So what's something that people can do right now to learn that skill? Because I think someone untrained would probably be like, no, no, no we don't time. Like we just got to move to the question and then the opportunity is lost. So how can people learn that skill? We well, learning that skill is the first thing is being really open-minded to, to meet new people and have lots and long conversations with them. You're learning about cultures, about consumptions, about way of thinking. Um, I, I taught, for example, a class uh, years ago when I when I used to dabble with teaching, uh, teaching Western design or what the Western world would require from a design standpoint to to um, a whole group coming from the other other side of the country from from the East, pretty much. And we're comparing about how the consumption is here in the West, what what the audience is like, what they like, what they dislike, what certain elements mean to them what some pieces that could come as offensive when you're trying in terms of colors and language and, and such. We teach that in school because we, we're trying to prep our international students to understand what's happening here in the West um, and understand that there are different types of consumers. If you, aside from pushing the information down and you actually going to sign up for a class to learn it, we need, we're lucky to have this diversity around us here in our province and in most provinces in Canada. You just need to make more relationships, try to engage with other, others with, with an understanding um, uh, ears and listening ears to, to, to learn and ask a lot of questions as you're asking right now to learn about them. Because 
as as you're learning about what what their lives is like what what is it that what what is it that they like uh, uh learn about culture uh con consuming habits um i was just talking to uh, a visitor that came from china in the ministry of education there and we had a great great meeting and as we we're chatting about design and, and arts and he was he was explaining to me that back then or in china things has to be much louder and much noisier and if it's not loud and if it's not noisy um then it doesn't get attention it gets just fast uh we're here we look for more uh, minimalist design and cleaner design if if i take the same mentality and try to push a product there probably it wouldn't be noticed so we need to have more of these conversations we need to meet different people and we sit with them and learn about them and look for them and it's not that hard here so I like the fact that when we sit around, um, we we eat a lot in in our agency, and we we go out and dine out a lot. Not not now, of course, in COVID, but we we used to. And everyone comes bring a whole ton of stories about their backgrounds, their countries, their um, their the likes and dislikes. It, it's a learning experience all the time, and we never assume that we learn because things change every year. What I had learned. When I was a child, um, when when I visited uh, the country where I was born, things are it's different. It's it's not what I had grown up knowing. It's it's more like I'm a I'm a foreigner to, to all of them. So things change, and you need to always update this information, have these conversations. I think it's like don't assume, ask questions, listen, and find people that are different than you. Yes, exactly. Don't assume. Okay. Never assume. Yes. Thank you so much for this interview, Fatten. I learned so much. As usual from you, every time I see you, I walk away super inspired. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming and doing this interview with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. As, as I mentioned, and I mentioned that again, I, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I love your energy. I love your positivity and it's contagious. Once, once I have a chat with you, just the day is, it's much more uh, brighter. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Fatin. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity and inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about Ambitious Every Day. It is all of the exercises that I take my coaching clients through in the form of a journal to help you focus and take action towards your goals. And here's the great news. If you subscribe to our newsletter, you get 11 pages of the journal for free as a PDF right to your inbox. So head on over to ambitiontheory.ca and sign up.